Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Moberg. This is Sawyer Moberg. We are introducing you and welcoming you to the evening. Expected a round of applause. I don't know why, actually. Thank you, Leslie. Um, welcome, if this is especially your first time here at the table, your first interaction with us as a community. During the summertime, um, as a church community, we like to break from the rhythms of what is normative for us and have nights like this um, that we hold this space. To, this is not a uh, religious worship service per se. This is where we live into our value of uh, pursuing the common good for our city, lifting up that which we all can deem to be beautiful and worthy and just and deserving of our attention. And we go into these spaces looking for who are the leaders, who are the voices and the visionaries that we need to especially be listening to now more than ever before. And when we first had that conversation, um, when did we, months ago, Mrs. Leslie Badu was one of the first names that came up for us. And so I am so excited um, that you are going to get to hear from her. Here's the plan for the evening. Um, I'm going to stop talking in about 2.5 seconds. A couple of friends of mine are going to come up and introduce you to Mrs. Badu. And during her presentation, our invitation to you is that you would be thinking about what are the questions coming up as she speaks, as she brings forward uh, the material that she's prepared, what is stirring in you, what's coming to the service, hold on to it because the back half of the night is going to be time for the Q&A, the dialogue. Makes sense, pretty straightforward, we all on the same page. Okay, so with that, I'm going to have Bethany and Sarah come up and they're going to sing a song for you really quick. Can you hear me? Yes. Cool. Um, I'm so excited that our friend Leslie is here to speak to us tonight. Um, I had the opportunity to get to know Leslie in law school when she was the chair, the education chair of the NAACP. And just having the opportunity to learn from her has been so amazing. But more than that, her energy is one of the best things that you'll ever experience. So I'm so grateful that this room of people gets to um, experience that and um, that we'll have an opportunity to get to um, learn about the amazing things that she's doing in our community. I am Bethany, most of you probably don't know me, um, but I met Leslie about a year ago under horrible circumstances uh, when my neighbor was shot and killed by the police and Leslie and the Minneapolis NAACP came and supported my community, supported me, and I have really looked to her as a friend, a sister, a mentor, and um, one of the most inspiring people in our city, in our state, and I would say in the country, based upon how I saw her speak at the national convention at NAACP. Um, she is a powerhouse, she is passionate, she is compassionate, um, Last night, just hearing her uh, lift up the family of Thurman and love them, and it, it reminded me so of how she's come into my community and done that as well. Uh, she is now the president of the NAACP Minneapolis, which makes her the youngest NAACP president in the country. She's only 25, 26 now. But when she started, she was 25. So um, I, too, am very excited for you to get to hear from her. And I was just telling our, our JC group before this that beyond just how we can be in the community, um, my children are learning from Leslie because every time they whine, I say, what would Miss Leslie say? <laughs> DCA, don't complain, activate. <laughs> and so they do. They do. So without further ado, Mrs. Leslie Badu. Thank you. Thanks so much. You too. Thank you, Bethany. The light is amongst us for a little while longer. Walk in the light before darkness overcomes us. Because those who walk in the darkness won't know where they are going. John chapter 12, verse 35. And the next verse says, while you have the light, believe in the light. Mm 
Grace and peace, everyone. My name is Leslie Badu. I serve as the president for the Minneapolis NAACP. I'm also a 2019 candidate for my JD MBA at the University of St. Thomas. I have been residing in the Twin Cities for the past four years, and it seems like ever since I've arrived here, something has been going on. Um, almost a month after I arrived to the Twin City, Mike Brown was killed and Missouri. Um, then the next year, Jamar Clark was killed in North Minneapolis. That following summer, Philando Castile. The next, or maybe it was a year after, was Justine Damon. And now, just yesterday, Thurman was killed. Before I begin with what I want to talk to you all about, I was hoping that we could just have a moment of silence for the African-American man who was killed around North Minneapolis yesterday named Thurman. So this time I'm going to ask us to just have a moment of silence. Thank you all. I hope during that moment of silence, you all were able to take a deep breath and to be appreciative that we are all here today. When I was asked to come and speak with you all, I did not know that all of this would be going on this weekend. Um, it was so great to see Matt last night and Bethany last night and they asked, are you okay to come in today? And I believe that I'm destined to be here right now more than ever because this is what we need. I believe that there's a spiritual warfare going on right now and that we have to stay focused, we have to stay united, and we have to keep our eyes on the prize. Today what I want to talk to you all about is three C's that are helping the Minneapolis NAACP to fulfill our goals and aspirations. The three C's are communication, collaboration, and compassion. The first C is communication. In business school they taught us that people like to do business with people that they know, they like, and they trust. Unfortunately, we live in a country that is more segregated than ever. And in my humble opinion, we've never seen authentic integration. We live in housing communities that are more segregated than ever. Our educational opportunities are segregated. And even when we think about our religious communities, they are extremely segregated. Malcolm X once said that 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated time ever. This is a problem. I look at you all, there's so much potential out in the audience. There are great networks out in the audience. There's a wealth of information out in the audience. And I think about that information, that network, that wealth that other communities aren't so fortunate to have. And thinking about exactly what role do we play in this? How much are we all truly interconnected? And how much does one thing impact us all? I truly believe that we are all interconnected and that we have a duty and a responsibility to help out those who are suffering from worse conditions in our very own communities. When I think about privilege, it comes in all different shapes and forms. And a lot of people act as if privilege doesn't exist. I like to think even right now to be able to have this conversation is a privilege. And we have to be very intentional about how we use our privilege. My good friend Bethany is sitting in the audience and we've had numerous conversations about this. It was truly an honor and a privilege to work with the Women's March in the South Minneapolis community after the unfortunate killing of Justine Damon. While the circumstances were less than ideal, I saw it as an opportunity for us to build bridges versus walls. We were able to go beyond the communities that we live in or that we typically serve, and we saw each other's humanity. And I think that's what's going to help us to get through some of the most trying times that we've probably ever been through. I want you all to know that silence equals consent. The church is extremely powerful, and it always has been. 
Unfortunately, the church historically has helped to perpetuate a lot of the injustices that still exist right now. And this is not about the blame game. It's about the change game. It's about recognizing that these conditions exist today and we are a part of the problem. Minnesota has some of the worst disparities in the nation. And whether we like to admit it or not, we're all benefiting from other people's oppression. The time is now to stop. The time is now to communicate with one another. As I stated before, people like to do business with people they know, they like, and they trust. And so what I pose to you all today, a question, is how do we help to bridge the gaps in the community? How do we get to go out of our community and get to know one each other, each other more? Because I believe when we know each other more, we will like each other more, and we'll also be able to trust each other. I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to present to you all today, because before this, many of you may have not known me. I want you all to see my humanity today, and I'm hoping to get to see your humanity as well. The second C is compassion. Compassion is critical. You all might be familiar with a quote from Martin Luther King, and it says, darkness cannot draw out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot draw out hate. Only love can do that. I know this to be true. When I was 20 years old, I had the opportunity to actually have lunch with President Barack Obama. And I remember telling him in the course of conversation, I could never understand why it has to be. I'm a Democrat, so I hate everything the Republicans are saying. Or on the other end, I'm a Republican, and I have to hate or argue with everything the Democrats say. Why is it that we can't be focused on what's for the betterment of America as a whole? And when we go even further than that, what is best for humanity as a whole? If Jesus was here today, I believe he would be flipping over tables. He would be extremely upset. He would have compassion, but I think that we would see his wrath. When I think about compassion, I don't only think about having compassion towards others, but I also think about having compassion towards yourself. I remember working with the Women's March Minnesota, and we had a real conversation, and we talked about racism. And the R word is very offensive to a lot of people. But I wanted people to understand that there's a such thing as systemic racism. There's a such thing as white supremacy. And whether we think we're indulging it or not, many people are benefiting from it. And until we acknowledge it and address it, we will never, ever be able to fix the problems. I know you all are familiar with, we can love the sinner and hate the sin. I look at that when we think about racism and how it plays out in our day-to-day -day society. You're not a bad person if you've ever benefited from systemic racism and white supremacy. Is that surprising to you all? I know a lot of the time we're talking and it's shameful. People feel as if I don't want any part of this conversation because now I am the problem. James Baldwin once said, how does it feel to be the problem? I know that none of you want to feel that you are the problem. The sad truth is that we continue to perpetuate the injustices so we can become a part of the problem, but you in and of yourself are not the problem. And I want you all to have compassion towards yourself. One of the best stories that I've ever heard was Michelle Alexander. And I don't know if you all are familiar with her, but she wrote New Jim Crow. Michelle Alexander is a civil rights attorney and is very informed about the black community and some of its struggles. However, at the beginning of her career, even once she was a civil rights attorney, she did, still didn't understand the depth that white supremacy and systemic racism played. She still didn't understand the term truly about mass incarceration and the war on drugs and how drugs and guns have been perpetuated and put into inner city communities and how people are being overrepresented and how we have this prison industrial complex until she dove deeper into her research. If Michelle Alexander, a black woman, a lawyer, a civil rights attorney could see the light and had growth to do, who are we to think that we don't have to grow? 
that we don't have a journey to go through. Each and every one of us are learning more and more. Even myself. I'm from the inner city of Washington, D.C., born and raised. I'm a first-generation college graduate. I spent four years in Miami, Florida, and I traveled to Minnesota to pursue my law degree, as I told you earlier. I was the only African-American student in all of my first-year law classes. Mind you, I'm from Washington, D.C. in the inner city, which means that I grew up in public schools, going to school with students that majority look like myself. I was in a strange and unfamiliar place, to say the least. However, not only did I learn about other people's struggles that they go through when they're in communities where they're the minority, I also learned about myself. My husband often tells me, we continue to study and read books, and once we're finished reading books and studying other people, we need to study ourselves. When I'm talking about compassion, it's time for us to take a deep look in the mirror. It's time for us to have real deep self-reflection and understand how we might be perpetuating these injustices. So then we can move forward. I believe once we do this, we truly can be the light and we can walk in the light. But if we continue to move away from it and act as if it doesn't exist, nothing is going to change. I also wanted to mention there's a difference between our intentions and our impact. I really love the quote that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And as you all know, we are in Minnesota, which is the state of Minnesota nice. So I truly believe that most people in Minnesota have good intentions, very pure intentions. However, their impacts have led to some of the worst disparities in the nation, and that is just not okay. And so what I urge you all to think about is how are my intentions reflected on the impact? If my neighbor, if my fellow brothers and sisters are not okay, then I cannot be okay. It's time for us to stop turning ahead to the injustice that are being projected on communities and people that are our family. I like to look at us all as distant relatives because we are the human race, whether we want to acknowledge or not. So what I want to emphasize to you all today is to truly make sure that you're communicating with people outside of your comfort zone. Someone who maybe doesn't look like you, doesn't have the same religious background, doesn't have the same political reference. That is the only way that we will grow as people. That is the only way that we'll be able to move forward. When you see things going on in the news, try to go against maybe what your first thought would have been. Don't make assumptions. Reach out to people and make sure that you're not just staying within your confined box. And recognize that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to work with one another. This leads me to my third C of collaboration. I believe that collaboration is the way, the only way that we are going to be able to make it to the promised land together. When it comes time for Judgment Day, Jesus is going to ask about if he was thirsty, did you give him water? When he was in prison, did you write him? When he was homeless, did you provide him shelter? And he's talking about the people who were least fortunate. The Minneapolis NAACP has a focus on collaboration, which is one of the reasons why I'm here today. It's to extend the olive branch and to let you all know that you are not alone. If you have questions that you want to ask, we are here to help answer them if we can. We've been working with the Women's March. We work with a number of other organizations in effort to push forward. We specifically do do a lot of prison outreach. We do prison tours. We sit and reach out to people who have been incarcerated to make sure that their reentry process is better off. My husband once told me, and I didn't know this, but he was incarcerated at one point, and so he knows the criminal justice system even better than I do. And he said, when you're incarcerated, there's a 90-day pre-release program that everyone has to go through to prepare themselves to come back into the community. Unfortunately, we don't have a 90-day pre-release program for the community. So unfortunately, a lot of the time, we aren't ready to receive the people who have done their time and have paid for their crime. 
It is time that we start to see the humanity in other people, and I think that that can only happen through communicating with people, having compassion towards people and ourselves, and then collaborating with others. We have to recognize that we're not in search of some kingdom. The kingdom of God is within us. I love in Matthews when it talked about when Jesus walked on water. And a lot of the time when we talk about Peter's fell attempt, we talk about the fact that he was afraid when he saw the wind and he began to sink. But we don't talk about the fact that he actually was walking on water. He was capable of doing what Jesus was doing. And Jesus told, me, told us that we'll be able to do even more than he did. I know that many of you have probably heard this saying that people will whisper your successes and scream your failures. I want you all to know that you all are making a step in the right direction by even being here today. By saying that you care about racial justice, by saying that you care about the human race because we are one family and that we cannot be separated, that we all are interconnected and that we are perpetuating systemic racism and institutionalized racism and white supremacy, whether we like it or not. We are all benefiting from other people's oppression right here on American soil and overseas. I know that you all see what's going on right here in North Minneapolis with black men being shot down in the street by police officers who are often getting off. I grew up in the inner city of Washington, D.C. Again, like I said, the demographic is vastly different than here in Minnesota. When I grew up in D.C., there were a number of black police officers. I actually have an uncle and many cousins who have served on the force. I have a grandfather who is actually buried in Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C., who went overseas, who fought for this country, but this country has not fought for him, did not fight for my parents, and I'm still questioning whether or not it's fighting for me. You all can be a part of that change. You all do not have to allow your silence to be consent. I want you all to know that we can critique someone or something without hating them. I truly believe in this. I remember when Jamar Clark got shot in North Minneapolis and we had the 18-day occupation. I can remember being out there one night, police officers coming over the 4th Precinct walls with their ski mask on. I remember, I remember distinctly recording it on Snapchat thinking that it was just some type of joke and they were trying to scare us. I can remember not even 10 to 15 minutes later, gunmen showing up to the precinct with very similar ski masks on. They ended up shooting four different protesters, peaceful protesters. I can remember that night, there was a three-year-old and a five-year-old out there sitting right beside me with their parents. God knows what would have happened if those protesters didn't lead those gunmen up the street. I can remember talking to one of my mentors, who's a judge right here in Minnesota, and I gave my eyewitness testimony on Democracy Now! She began to ask me questions, which was good, about what I saw and my experience. She said that she had never known police officers to indulge, to indulge themselves in the type of behavior that we were accusing them of, of macing and hitting peaceful protesters, of treating us as less than human beings and as, as if we were on a battle scene. I had to explain to her that police officers are here to protect and serve, but the question becomes, who are they here to protect and serve? We have to recognize that in inner city communities, our communities have been terrorized and been over-policed often. We have to recognize that we have to separate individuals from their occupations. If you know someone to be a good individual that can't take away from the injustice that they continue to perpetuate, we have to radically rethink about how we think about policing in America, especially when the foundation stems from slave catching. We have to recognize that we continue to put property over people time and time again, and enough is enough. 
I believe that if we all come together, if we help America to have authentic integration for the first time, if we communicate with one another, and in order to communicate, we have to make sure that we are listening to one another, that we are not making assumptions about one another, that we are not playing the blame game. If we have compassion towards others and ourselves, a lot of people that I'm around are very frustrated with the current administration and President Trump. And they have a right to be, especially with the actions that are going on. However, I remind them that I believe that in the darkest hours is when we can see the brightest lights. We cannot use Donald Trump as a scapegoat because the reality of the situation is that a lot of this oppression was going on before him. And I'm thankful that people have taken a wider eye and are more intentional and are focusing more on the oppression and injustice that's going on. But I want people to also recognize how they are perpetuating the oppression and injustice that is going on. Because we are all guilty. In essence, as we sit around, these conversations are important, but they're not enough. We're going to have to move at some point from conversations to actions. I recognize that we are all at a different starting point, and that's okay. I'm not better than any of you all, nor are any of you all better than me. We all have knowledge and information that we can bring to the table. And when we share it, that is going to be how we're going to grow and how we're going to move forward. And that's what I mean by the key of collaboration, because this is less about us, and it's more about them. Beautiful children like this. We are responsible for the next generation. We have to work together. We honestly don't have a choice at this point. Enough is enough. We cannot be separated Sunday at 11 a.m. We can't be separated Monday at 12 p.m., Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's not good enough to live in our isolated communities anymore. It's not good enough to say you want your child to have a good education, but you couldn't care less if someone from North Minneapolis doesn't have a good education. Enough is enough. It's time for us to care about each other. It's time for us to recognize that the kingdom of God truly is within each and every one of us. As Bethany mentioned earlier, I've come up with a saying, and it's called, don't complain, activate. One of my grandmother's favorite songs was, I won't complain. And I agree with her, because as she would say, it wouldn't change anything anyways. But I do recognize, as Zora Neale Hurston said, if you are silent about your oppression, they will kill you and say you enjoyed it. If I am killed, no one will say that I enjoyed it because I'm going to scream out into the mountaintop what is going on, what oppression is going on, what injustice is going on. My ask of you all today is that you all would care, that you all would communicate with people like me, that you'll have compassion towards people like me, and that you all will collaborate with people like me. Thank you all. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so we're just going to take a few minutes. We're going to head into a time of Q&A, but we wanted to give you a chance to just think about what we were just talking about. I'm going to play a quick song and uh, take this time to reflect, maybe think about some questions you want to ask. We'd, we'd really love to ask you to be bold, to ask the questions that maybe you're not sure if you want to say, and you might be the only person who wants to ask them. So, uh, whether you want to just take a chance to write this down or write down a few things, something like that, that'd be great.
Will we ever rise above the fear? Can we learn to see the need? Can we share the humanity? Oh, I can see another day come. Broken people, we can be made. Oh, we can be made. Oh, we can be made. Oh, as we lay down our weapons, open up love is breaking us love remaking us will we ever rise will we ever rise above the pain can we learn another way Give as you forgave Oh, I can see another day come Broken people, we can be made oh, We can be made oh, We can be made oh, As we lay down our weapons Open up our hearts Love is breaking Love remaking us Heal now Take away the blindness So we can see What we were meant to see See the light Devastating the darkness Oh, I can see Oh, I can see another day come Broken people, we can be made oh. Broken people, we can be Thank you so much. Can you all give one more round of applause? Thank you. We are um, so grateful, not just for, am I turned off right now? Am I on now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That was a really angry yes over there from that side. <laughs> I need you to relax immediately. <laughs> we are grateful not just for what you brought to us just now, but the fact that you are bringing anything at all tonight. And uh, so thank you, because that really was, um, in some ways you were talking about not blaming Trump and, and not finding the, the, the scapegoats that we tend to do. And I had this image come up where I was watching soccer the other day, or, as, or football as some would call it. And somebody got injured to the point where they got knocked out, which I always thought they were faking injuries mm. in that sport, but apparently somebody <laughs> actually got knocked out. <laughs> and they, um, the guy, the trainer, the doctor came up with that smelling sauce mm -hmm. and it woke him back up. 
And I think, like, honestly, as you're talking, so much of, like, what is happening around us, it is this thing that is waking people back up. Right. And asking new questions and reengaging with a reality that we have, um, especially those in dominant culture, right. have, have been apathetic towards and different towards. So you talk about the need to know one another, yes. be in relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. How do we have you? How do you do that? Because I think for a lot of people in conversations, even recently, it's not. For a lot of people, it is about indifference. Right. A lot of other people, it's about insecurity mm-hmm. and feeling like we. I don't know the best way to step in without being inappropriate, without being weird, without being more of a burden than I intend to be. Right. Uh, so you ready for me to? Okay. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That was. <laughs> That was my cue to start. (laughs) So that's a really good question because I do hear that often about how do I engage with people. I think it's similar to what you and Bethany did last night. When there's a crisis that arises, come out and just be present, right? When it's a Sunday service, maybe go beyond your traditional church and go and visit another church, right? When it comes to someone that you probably work with or that your children go to school with or just even walking down the street saying hello to someone at the coffee shop or anywhere. It's just making the effort to engage with them. And when you see an injustice, it's like see something, say something. Mm. If you see that something wrong is going on, be that voice and recognize that you have more power than you even recognize. And I think that's one of the issues. I think a lot of the time is that we don't recognize that we all can be and probably should be activators of the community. We kind of wait for Superman to come save the day, like, oh, you're getting beat up, but I'm not going to step in and say it. I'm going to wait for somebody else to. Like, just be that person. And then I also think people, I think people want people, right? It's not good for man to be left alone. Like, we actually want to interact with each other. And like you said, a lot of times we just don't know how to. And what I say is a simple smile and a hello, right? Just meet people and be willing to talk to them because people want to be talked to. We live in a society where we have social media and hypothetically we're more connected than we've ever been before. But however, we're also more disconnected than we've ever been before. And so I think that it's just about that human interaction. And when you see someone say hello, and when you see injustice, speak up and say something about it. And as a, let me, we're going to invite this, this into happening later tonight when Debbie does the announcement slash invitations. But tonight at 7 p.m., there is a vigil happening in North Minneapolis that we would strongly encourage all people to show up. Definitely. And put your body in that place. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah, forgot. Go a good one. So the first Tuesday of every month, the Minneapolis NAACP has meetings, and you all are always welcome to come out to those because... July the 3rd is actually day before 4th of July, so we're moving it to July the 12th, and we meet at Richard Green Elementary School, and if you all want to lend any of your expertise and time, we would greatly appreciate it, and and that's my husband, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Thank you, James Vaudel, and also, we actually, like, this is crazy that this was already scheduled. We had scheduled for an event we're going to have on July the 6th, which is Friday, at Freedom Squares in North Minneapolis, which is right across the street from the Capri Theater. Mm-hmm. And we're showing a short film called Suspect? Question mark. And it's literally about police brutality and this young man who is in this situation and every decision that he makes leads him either locked up or dead. And so we're going to have a community dialogue after the short film. So if you all want to come out to that, I'll share information with you. And maybe you could post it. Yep. So that's Friday, July 6th, though? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let me ask one more question, and I want to open it up to the floor. Um, One of the first things you said when you came up here is that it feels like not a a year has gone by, where there hasn't been some tragedy that has risen to the surface, Mm -hmm. that hasn't been some. And I think constantly that collision between the experience that lost the morning and the rest of the world keep going on. I mean, I even think about specifically last night, being in North Minneapolis, in that pain, the heaviness of again. Right. And then waking up this morning and going to Pride in a celebratory and like the collision that happens there. How have you in the midst of again and again and again, how have you been able to stay sustainable? How have you been able to keep on? What, 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 how are you here right now? I'm barely here right now, yeah, right? right? That's kind of the answer. Um, one is by the grace of God, you know, he keeps me moving and not, um, 
just God in the theory, but God in the reality, which is, I think is each one of us, mm-hmm. right? It's friends, it's loved ones yeah. checking in. And self-care is so important. Um, a lot of us that are out there on the field have been in the field for a long time. Myself, I've been protesting since I was in high school or probably even before that, right? It's always been in my heart, so it's always a continuous, but self-care is so important. And so, for instance, even today, when a lot of people are grieving, I do think it's still important to celebrate, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think people should feel bad about living and being happy, right? We just have to recognize that two things can be true at one time, right? And in the midst of us celebrating, we can't forget that other people are mourning. And when we have availability and time, we have to make availability and time to lend our support to other people. And so I don't think there's anything wrong. And I want people to be very intentional about that. We're asking people to get involved with the movement and to speak out against oppression. We're not asking you to be miserable. We're not asking you to let go of all your friends or your family members. We're just asking you to have intentional dialogue and intentional action and to be a part of the change. But you can still live and be happy. And I think you should. Yeah. That's good. And that's why I came today, right, is I want to keep the process moving along. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're grateful that you did. I want to open up to the floor. Questions that might be stirring in the audience, um, raise your hand. We'll have a mic come to you, and we'll get the ball moving. Back there. So I, along with several of us in here, are employers and have the opportunity to hire people. And one of the biggest things that I struggle with is actually getting, not even, just getting people to apply that are from different backgrounds, people of color, uh, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So are there tools that you guys have specifically that we could plug into, meetings that we could go to, places we could recruit? that could help us, because I'm, I'm plugged into a network of Christian CEOs and business owners that are trying to find workers and we can't find them. And you're doing so especially recognizing the disparities in our city and how prominent they are. I mean, like, it's, it's a direct counter to that right there. Right, well, first, I appreciate you even being aware of it and wanting to make a change. I would definitely recommend connecting with the NAACP because we do have some networks. Obviously, we know that there are a lot of people looking for employment right now. One of the things that I tell people to consider is it's not just the recruitment, it's even the retention. And a lot of the reasons why we can't recruit in a lot of these places is because of this culture. And it's not just your companies, but it's pretty much all companies that exist, right? We have this culture that was created for certain individuals and not including a number of individuals. So like I like to say, these institutions aren't broken a lot of the time, it's that they're perpetuating in the way that they were meant to. And a lot of them have built an immune system that pushes anyone that is different outside of them. And so when you're inside, it's kind of hard to see those barriers that are up and created. And one of the things that I'm very intentional about is when we are recommending places or employers to people, we want to make sure that it's a culture that they're going to be able to not only survive within, but thrive within, Mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of those things aren't there, and it's not intentional. Like I said, this is Minnesota. I don't think most things are intentional, but we have to recognize that they exist. And so I recommend you getting in touch with places like the NAACP and thinking about what your current culture is and why you might not be... um, able to recruit people from lower social economic um, backgrounds and racial, different racial backgrounds. So culture is key to me. That's good. Questions? How you doing? Good, how are you? Very well. <laughs> nice to see everybody here. Um, I just want to start off by saying the lady right there looks very beautiful. <laughs> Uh, well played. Number two. Smart man. Number two, uh, to answer your question, if you can see me, can you stand up again? What kind of employers do you have? Like, who, who are you? What kind of businesses? Do you know who has the best sales pitch? A drug dealer. Mm. He sells dirty socks on the streets. He can sell dirty socks on the streets. Mm-hmm. Somebody like that, you want a part of your business. You know why? Because he has the pizzazz that you need. But do you know those kind of people? The ones with criminal records. 
-hmm. Uncheck if you have a criminal record. If they don't have a criminal record, don't hire them. <laughs> I actually like that. That's, yeah. So, thank you, James, for that. Uh, he has a way with words, right? So, if I could just say that in my own words, the parallel to that is, as I was saying earlier, the black community is not full of criminals, as the media would have us believe, right? But our community has been criminalized. Yeah. And when you put people in a situation where you're taking jobs outside of their community, you're continuously criminalizing them, they only have but so many options. And not everyone can make it to the NFL or the NBA, right? And a lot of people do end up becoming drug dealers. That's just the reality of the situation. And now, the very occupation that these inner city youth were having is now the same occupation that people in the middle or upper class are having with these legalized dispensaries, right? And so we have to recognize a lot of the root of these issues. And so it makes us to just really look at some of the assumptions that we make because we think like a drug dealer has a certain kind of characteristics. And as James is saying, they have transferable skills that could actually be very profitable, right? And so I think that's what he was saying. Thank you. <laughs> I heard that. Next question. Don't be shy. Back here. In what do they say in school? There are no stupid questions. Here you go. Thank you, thank you. Um, how can we be advocates for social injustice change? How can, how can we advocate for social, social and criminal justice change? Reform. You want to take this one too? No, I think I got it. <laughs> so let me give a little disclaimer, okay? I'm gonna invite all of y'all to talk to James after this because he has a lot of the answers, but right now I'm gonna give him the answers. Okay, so there are a number of ways to advocate. What I'm very focused on is activating your passion and your purpose, right? And so recognizing what are some of the things that you already are passionate about and figuring out how to align with that. And so as I said, we collaborate with a lot of people, whether it's the ACLU, there are Cleaning for Change initiatives. James has a really great Cleaning for Change initiative, which really focused on, as I was talking about, the communication barrier. So getting people on the same level. So we work with an organization called Rebound, which works with young people who have been involved in the criminal justice system. And it, a lot of the time it's for no fault of their own. It could have just been that they um, didn't have parents and they were in like the foster care system and just getting shipped around. And so um, that's a really good opportunity because we bring people from law school and just the community overall, cleaning up train trash, making sure that we're not moving out of communities, but moving in communities. And so one of the biggest ways of advocacy for me is shifting the way that we're thinking, right? Because that does more harm than it ever could do good. And if we don't think differently, we'll never do differently. Mm. And so working with the NAACP, we do a lot of advocacy work. We actually just had a Warrant Forgiveness Day, which is very critical. Um, when I was working with the Minneapolis public, um, police officers and the mayor's office last summer, we recognized that one of the top reasons for arrest was having no ID. And a lot of the time it's because it's been revoked. They have traffic tickets that they cannot pay for. And to me, that is the worst reason that somebody can get locked up for not having a form of identification. Yeah. So for us, why, as we want to work with people who have been incarcerated and who are re-entering the system, it's just as important to prevent some of those things as well. Uh, we also go in working with people that work in the parks. Um, there's a lot of things that take place. It's um, honestly just lending a hand, helping these young people. I personally believe education is one of the biggest forms of advocacy that we can do. Uh, for me, I don't think you can talk about criminal justice without talking about education. Yeah. And so we have a number of committees within NAACP, whether it be education, whether it be prison reform, criminal justice committee, um, education, we have child protection. There are just a number of ways that you can advocate. It's just figuring out what best way fits you best. And obviously, we need people that do marketing. We need people to make phone calls. We need people to lobby, right? That's one of the big reasons why we have our current system is because who's lobbying in the interest of people who live in poverty and have criminal records? Slim to nobody, right? And so whatever skills that you have, I'm sure we can figure out how to utilize it. Was that helpful? Okay. Yeah. Back here. 
A little bit faster, please. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You can have it next, I promise. Uh, I just, I don't, I'm not familiar with the structure of the NAACP, like how, how does funding work? Uh, what's the, how does the national, Let how does it all fit you. with the national and all that? And uh, just, just so I can know. I like you. What's your name? My, my name's Charlie. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. That is a really great question. So the NAACP, first I should have told you what it all stands for because I don't want to make any assumptions. The NAACP stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Color People. It's been around for 109 years. It is the oldest civil rights organization in the nation. Um, when it comes to the local branches, we are a 501c4. The national branch is a 501c3. We are all volunteers. None of us are paid except for there are a couple of states like Detroit, which has one of the biggest branches. They have about six employees. One of my biggest goals, so I became president in March, is sustainability and actually making sure that we do have paid staff. I'm sure that you all could just imagine how much chaos and how hard it is to really start stuff from scratch, especially when there's so much work to be done, when you're being pulled in all different directions all the time, when you have to have a full-time job on top of the NAACP that's like a two-time full-time job. Um, it's very complicated, and I don't really um, like the structure as much to be transparent, because for me, it's a it's free labor, and I don't really like free labor because I believe my ancestors have paid enough yeah. free labor to this nation. And so one of the biggest things that I want is to figure out how can we get funding to the NAACP? How can we make sure that we have paid staff? How are we more intentional with funding? So we will be having a Freedom Fund in October. We're working on that right now. So you all are welcome to buy a ticket to that to support us. Um, and that's very important, too, because a lot of the money that we do get coming in does go to support national as well. So we can specifically get money to like help us to have paid staff. That would be a tremendous help because we put in definitely over 40 hours every week for sure. Wow. Thanks, Charlie, for asking that. Yeah, Terry? All right, hey. so what Terry just asked is, hey. we went can, to law you school say, together too. can you say more <laughs> about the thing in October? Did I hear you right? Okay. Yeah, so the Freedom Fund is probably the biggest fundraiser that each of the different branches have um, is normally set up in a traditional fundraiser setting. Oh, so if you all are interested in being on that fundraiser committee, was that what you're volunteering for? I appreciate that. So if any of you all want to sign up to be on that fundraiser committee, we're actually just starting that now. So we're a little bit behind. So if you all want to be a part of it, we would greatly appreciate it because it normally does bring in a lot of money to the branch. We'll have a speaker, have a dinner. We have to get a location. There is a lot of work to be done and a lot of other moving pieces, as you all know, going on. So we can use all the help we can get. That's so great. So any of yeah. you want to be on the fundraising committee, Terry, she'll be one of our chairs. You see that? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Becky, did you have a question? Yeah. Um, okay, so... My son is in kindergarten in elementary school, and I just recently joined the parent-teacher organization. Nice. And one of the things that I noticed right away is that there's quite a bit of diversity in his school mm -hmm. and no diversity on the parent-teacher organization. Mm. So my question is, how do, um, how do I work to engage the, um, you know, a, a, a different set of parents? so that the PTO is actually representative of the school and not just the white kids in the school. Definitely. First, I really appreciate that. That's like a don't complain, activate moment, right? Is that you recognize that something's going on and you yeah. want to be a part of the solution. Um, a lot of it sometimes has to do with the structure, when meetings are being held, just even engaging parents to let them know what is going on, being intentional about maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's an email, maybe it's catching them at the end of the day to engage them and see if they have availability. Um, recognizing that it's very hard. I remember my mom, like, it really wasn't that much leeway time for her to be doing too much extracurricular stuff because she was trying to put food on the table and provide for me and my siblings um, 
in a world that has a lot going on. Mm. And so even if those parents aren't able to come to the table, which I'm sure that you'll be able to engage some, is making sure that their interests are brought to the table, right? Mm. So even if they're not able to physically attend the meeting, maybe it's reaching out to say, are there any concerns that I'm going to know you might not be able to come, but maybe I can bring these concerns up into the table, right? Like that's a real ally and a real accomplice in the movement. That's good. Any other questions in the room? You have a question? Too? I was going to say we do have an education committee. Uh, so you can get involved with the education committee to make sure that that happens. Because NAACP is for all colored people. Mm. It was started by white people. And, and so both. It was started by everybody. It's all people. So this is an organization where everybody can be together. So whatever ideas you think that you might have, somebody got to answer to the question. Or you have a question to somebody else. Um, I would ask... A question? A question now. With all of these people here, if there was one thing that they could take away, that they can take with them, what would it be? And why? Are you asking me that question? Both of you. Oh, me and you, huh? Okay. Um, so one thing I wanted to say to your first point is that it is actually a very good point, James, so I appreciate that. We meet a lot of our European-American brothers and sisters, and they're like, oh, I didn't know I could be a member of the NAACP. So membership is $30. And I should have brought some membership forms because we would love for all of you wonderful people to join the NAACP. That's a great way to contribute because we do run off a of membership primarily. And so, yes, that's really a good way. You should become members and get involved in the committees. And if it was one thing that you all could take away from this conversation with me, I would just want it, you all to know that you all make a difference, that the power truly is in the people, and that if you all want to change, you all can help to execute change. Really, it does only take a small group of people one or two, where one or two are gathered, right? Yeah. We can truly make a difference. And so just believe in yourself. And you don't have to do everything, but you can do something. And so I would encourage you all to just think, how can I make a difference? And how can I just help to activate the community? Yeah, and I would echo, I mean, just, yeah, I'll echo it. Diddy, uh, Diddy. <laughs> Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> what I would say is something that we talked about as uh, the table community a lot during the Poor People's Campaign and our involvement in it was the idea of moving from concern to collaboration mm. and talking a lot about the power of participation, getting involved, the next right. right step, and not, and I think especially in these moments right now where there are some glaring headlines that ought to jar us all. Mm -hmm. How are we getting involved in the next right step in the mundane moments, the things in between that are more preventative? And I hear you, that invitation of knowing right. and actually going beyond the knowing about, but knowing names, knowing stories. Yes. In person to person. 100%. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. It was a question right here. James, can you pass that mic? <laughs> This might not be very well phrased because um, I've just been kind of like mulling this question for a while, but um, it seems to me that, you know, like with really busy, like I know a lot of people everywhere are always really busy, right? So like the, the way that you form relationships the best is with people that you live near and mm -hmm. around. Um, and segregation is a huge problem in our city. Um, but at the same time, there's problems with, um, I know that there have started to be some issues with gentrification happening in, in parts of North Minneapolis. And um, I guess my question is, and you sort of answered this earlier, but my question is sort of, how, how do you balance those two things? Hmm. Like, how, how do we, are there easy ways to like, I mean, besides just the obvious, make time to go meet with people that are, don't live near you. Um, to form relationships on a regular basis rather than just in times of crisis? I really appreciate your question because it gets to a deeper rooted question, which is it's not always 
even about having new friends, but what conversations are you having with your current friends even, right? And so as I was mentioning before, if you are in the room, so for instance, there'll be a lot of rooms that you all will be invited to that I never will be invited to, right? And it might be because of the color of my skin. It might be because of my sex. It might be because of a number of different reasons, right? But if you are in that room, pushing that conversation forward to me is a great form of advocacy, right? But it does need to be informed by some reality, right? And so I think that it's engaging in deeper dialogue with the current circle that you have, because then I think there'll be an interest not only amongst you, but amongst all of your friends, which I think that it'll make it easier, right? When you're not trying to go and have two lives, but you're making it a part of one life, right? And so maybe it's, you know, setting up, Time for the kids to play together, right? With people that you've met that are outside of your race. Maybe it's going on a walk around the park. Or even when you're going on a walk around the park, just literally engaging with those people there. I don't think it has to be as intentional as, even I, I think it's a good thing to be intentional to go outside of your community and other communities. But it's like, even when you're in your normal course of action, because whether we believe it or not, somebody that is outside of our race or our religion or whatever the diversity is, is right there. And maybe you're just overlooking them, right? And so maybe it's just about being more intentional about how we're looking. And, and that means that you're not looking at status, you're not looking at titles and position. The person doesn't need to be the president of NAACP, right? Like it just needs to be anybody. And you'll also recognize that diversity comes in so many different shapes and forms. That's good. Yes. Brought the mic to myself. Um, so mine's more of just a follow up on that, Leslie. Something that you have taught me is I, when I was with Women's March Minnesota and especially after Justine's shooting, um, I was invited to do many interviews. And um, Leslie came because I said, I don't know what to say. Will you please come? And what Leslie very quickly taught me is that they would try to interview, they, the media, would try to interview us separately. And that we know that the media is going to put the white ladies interview on television. So Leslie and I demanded that we be interviewed together and the, they kept saying like, we can't fit you in the frame. So we <laughs> held our cheeks and locked our arms like this and took a step back and said, can you fit us in the frame now? Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't be interviewed without each other. But that, that made me so aware of the privilege I have and the voice and the platform I've been given. Mm -hmm. And um, I think once we become aware of that, now when I get asked to speak on a round table or do a magazine interview, I will only agree if they will interview Leslie as well and take her with. So I think that when we look at the spaces we're invited to, we need to first like say who's not at that table and how can I help to bring them to that table? Whether it's, um, like you were saying, reiterating the messages or actually physically making space. Thank you so much, Bethany. And one thing that I appreciate about Bethany too is she brings her whole family when she's activating the community, right? The kids are there, her husband is there. And that's what I mean about how do we make it. So this is a part of our daily yeah. routine, right? Yeah. That it's not something that we have to go and escape off to. I'm not asking you all to be superheroes and live double lives. I'm saying to make it a part of your life. And so maybe it's just inviting somebody over for dinner, right, with you and your family, or just, again, extending an invitation when you're invited to speak and say, you know, maybe this person will have a very interesting perspective, and I think that they should be there for the conversation and dialogue as well. That's good. Let me ask you one last question, then we got to get um, wrapped up. But in thinking about the specific invitation for people to come down or come up to North Minneapolis at 48th and Camden. And yes. 48th and... It's like Lindale, Camden kind of area. There. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is the... What is... Um, I, I know people will have anxiety about, like, how do I enter into that space in a healthy way mm -hmm. that is actually contributing to something that's good. Do you have specific asks on people that are saying yes to that invitation tonight, like how they can show up best? I think just show up yourself, right? If you want to bring water bottles or bring something, that's totally fine. I think just 
being loving and kind. And again, because I recognize not everyone wants to be out there physically on the ground tonight. If you don't want to be out there tonight, just think about how you can extend one, your prayers, but also your network and your resources to the movement at a later time because Mm. the work has been going on and it will continue to go on. And it's unfortunate that these incidents have to happen to bring it to the surface, but just know that you can always lend your support to the movement because we always need resources. We always need man and woman power. We always need people to make phone calls and to come because we are building up our structure and our resources. And so if you come tonight, just come humbly, observe, just see what's going on, just be there with the spirit. It's not really necessarily about saying too much other than, you know, I'm sorry for this tragedy that's going on. But just being there, I think, is very powerful. And for the ongoing work, I want to invite real quick the leaders of our Racial Justice Coalition to stand up. The directors, there you go, thank you. Don't do it so with so much hesitation, but... (laughs) If you want to be a part of what the table is trying to do, we have started the Racial Justice Coalition for the ongoing efforts. How do we continue the conversation and not wait for the highlight moments? Please reach out to one of these guys or girls, and we'll figure out how we can best get you connected and set up. Thank you. Thank you all for having me, too. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you all for coming out. Debbie, Sam. Not, Not to interrupt the end. Just you mentioned a lot of like events and fundraising and stuff like that. Is there a website we can go to to see all those things? And yes, and so the Facebook is really the major media outlet that we use a lot, and it's NAACP MPLS. Uh, feel free to reach out to me as well, Leslie, and then Badu is B A D U E. Um, the website actually, I think we're it was up and running, but the domain expired, so we're getting that back up and running. But I'll send Matt all of that information so that he can share it. But definitely look at our Facebook page because we keep everything very updated there. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks.